Welcome to the seventh episode of the Ocean Decade Show, a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean, housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network family. My name is Taylor Gills, and I'm your host and tour guide on our adventure through the Ocean Decade. Um, happy July. Uh, we're officially now more than halfway through the first year of the Ocean Decade, and time has flown. Uh, over the past six months, the Ocean Decade has really exploded. I remember trying to search for the hashtag Ocean Decade on any social media last year and couldn't find barely any instances of it except for when I was posting about it. So I think it's really fantastic that I've seen it featured in many more places, referenced all over the ocean world as we globally figure out how to wrap our heads around the purpose and the potential of this next 10 years of this decade. And through this show, I've been trying to bring you through all the elements of the decade and necessarily have started out with the nuts and bolts, uh, the basics of what this decade is, major players. And then last month's episode with Julian Barbier of the IOC, uh, the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission, um, we started to get a little more specific with the references to the endorsed programs that after uh, the IOC had submissions open last year and they were accepted in January, went through a whole process with the Decade Advisory Board and they officially endorsed 66 different programs, which is available on the Ocean Decade website, uh, 66 actions, uh, some of which are programs. So it'll be great to see how those grow and really get into the meat of the decade. So what things are going to happen and change over the course of this 10 years. Um, this episode uh, may seem like a leap in terms of specificity from the nuts and bolts, but we're, uh, we're going with the flow and figuring out all the different facets of the decade. Um, and by the time you're listening to this episode, uh, hopefully you've read at least the title and maybe the summary. Uh, so today you'll know that I'm lucky to be speaking to Fabian Cousteau uh, of the Red Hat Cousteaus, <laughs> I think is your official term. And then Dr. Brian Helmuth, uh, not only about this fantastic new space station of the ocean, which yes, you heard me correctly. It's a space station, but underwater, which is the greatest uh, kind of visual image, I think that is awe-inspiring and wonderful. Uh, but also speaking more generally about my favorite of the seven ocean decade societal outcomes, um, inspiring and engaging ocean, which I really think is the most important place to start when explaining the decade to a wider audience that's non-scientific or that's not policy focused. People go to the ocean to be awed. People remember their first trip to the beach, the first time they stepped into the sea. Um, it's, it's a primal, visceral experience that can serve as an example and a guiding light for how we engage a wider audience uh, during this ocean decade. And who better to talk about engaging a wider audience during the ocean decade than Fabien Cousteau, uh, aquanaut, oceanographic explorer, just the, the commas go on and on, environmental advocate and founder of the Fabien Cousteau Ocean Learning Center. Uh, Fabian, I think you're a trusted face of marine science to millions around the world from your shark specials on National Geographic to your pointing op-eds in major newspapers. So thanks for joining us today. Bonjour, Taylor. Hello, virtual world. And I'm lucky to have a two-for-one special today on individuals associated with the Fabian Cousteau Ocean Learning Center because we also have Dr. Brian Helmuth, uh, who serves on the advisory board for the center, as well as being a professor at the Marine Science Center at Northeastern University in Boston, in Massachusetts, in the US, and who's also the chair of the National Sea Grant Advisory Board. Brian almost wears more hats than Fabian does. Maybe they're not all red, maybe they're different colors, but um, Brian, it's great to have you here too. Hey Taylor, thanks so much for having me. So before we get into specifics, and I nerd out about uh, Mission 31 and Proteus, I want to hear from both of you about your path to the ocean decade. How did you hear about it? How did you get looped in? And Brian, I think you looped in Fabian, so we'll let you go first and you can kind of talk about this path. Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, I chair a, a federal advisory committee to the National Sea Grant Program, and it's it's unique in that it's congressionally mandated. And so the committee reports not only to the Sea Grant director, also to the head of NOAA and the Secretary of Commerce about what the major challenges are facing the, the U.S. Um, I also, a few years ago, had the opportunity to take part in a U.N. high-level meeting on the Sustainable Development Goals. So I've been hearing about and, and getting excited about the Decade of the Ocean for, for quite some time. Um, so connecting the decade with Proteus seemed like a, a no-brainer. <laughs> what, what Brian said, uh, but I, I, can, I can blame the, uh, everything squarely on Brian for my participation. I think that's why we have him on the podcast here. You know, It's just a chance to 
for it's a therapy session for you to say, Brian, what have you gotten me into? It's, you know, it's, it's absolute Excellent. pleasure. And, and uh, thanks to Brian, uh, I got even uh, deeper into Decade of the Oceans. Uh, for for now three generations or decades, uh, we've been involved on various levels with the United Nations and, and uh, with the various aspects that really uh, put policy to paper uh, as far as uh, protecting things like Antarctica and, and other aspects of, of our little oasis in space. But uh, more recently, thanks to Brian, uh, this generation, mean, meaning myself and, uh, and, and hopefully others out there, um, are getting more involved in the, in the ocean conservation realm because of Decade of the Ocean. And in this particular case, thanks to Brian's uh, involvement himself. Yeah, it's just such a fascinating platform is what I've always thought of the decade as, you know, that there's international initiatives that have been thinking about the ocean for years, but this is a, a concentrated global effort to to think about this. And to in this first year, it's really the, the fun almost of getting to define what do we need to solve as a, as a global community, not just a global community of ocean scientists, but a global community of humans who live on the earth. <laughs> well, the scientists have seen what's been coming for, for decades now. Uh, it, it's up to us as, as individuals, as human beings, as non-scientists to uh, be engaged and be part of the solution. And that's, that's going to be the, probably the most challenging part because of our, our various backgrounds around the world, uh, our various needs, our various uh, education levels, uh, our interests, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so uh, we have a huge task ahead of us. That's exciting to me. Uh, I'm assuming that's exciting to Brian as well and, and many others out there. It offers opportunity. Yeah, and it's all, that's why I think that, yeah, centering this conversation around uh, that seventh societal outcome and inspiring and engaging ocean. Um, so just kind of starting with that, what does that one of the outcomes mean to both of you? The other ones are very specific. You know, it can be about ocean observations or about seafood sustainability, but um, but Brian, to you, what does an inspiring and engaging ocean mean? Yeah, to me, it means rethinking our connection to the ocean broadly. I mean, uh, and uh, there are many of us, you know, like me and Fabian and, and others who work every day in the ocean um, who have that natural connection. But I, I, I feel like many people in our society have, have lost that. And so this is just an incredible opportunity to, to re-engage and to understand that, that we're not separate from the ocean. Exactly. Fabian? Well, I, I would say, you know, we forget where our origins are from, right? I mean, we were born of ocean. We, were, we came from this chemical soup that, that the ocean bore all sorts of species, including ourselves. Uh, we've, we've migrated from there to, ter to terrestrial beings through a very complex uh, set of adventures. And we're lucky enough to be here as, as a specific species, now self-aware and, and obviously... Uh, thinking of itself as very advanced, but we've also lost our connection with uh, with our mother, with with our womb. Uh, we're born of ocean. Uh, every every person on this planet first starts out in water, and then is born out into this air environment. But at the end of the day, uh, the ocean is our oasis in space, our life support system. The trick is to get that fundamental understanding into people's minds around the world regardless of what background they're from, uh, and to understand that this is our, our natural resource bank account. If for nothing else, uh, to be able to, to find a balance where we in nature uh, live uh, in, in cohesion, uh, in symbiotic relationship, and we live off the capital that it bears rather than eating away uh, I'm sorry, off the interest yeah. that it bears rather than eating away the capital. Yeah, it's always, it's always funny to put the ocean in those kind of financial terms, but we have to, to help like bridge that human ocean gap over the next 10 years, that it's not just, uh, you know, to people like us who live in and work with the ocean, you know, on a daily basis. Um, we understand the conservation importance and the potential, but, uh, bridging that human ocean gap is, is a significant challenge for people who may have never been to the ocean or, you know, have lived very far away. 
Well, if you if you live on the ocean front, it might be a little bit easier to visualize what's below the blue veneer. But if you're a thousand miles away, one has to understand that you know if you're skiing on top of a mountain, you're skiing on the ocean. Uh, you know, water connects us all. Water connects everything that we love, that we cherish, that we depend on. Uh, and and it's a matter. Uh, and oftentimes, it's a matter of language. It's a matter of of storytelling in a way that connects with that particular individual, or that particular community. And if the the story is is uh, based in uh, financial terms, uh, it's not really my language, but uh, cer- certainly something that we need to to uh, kind of bridge the gap and understand. Then so be it. If it's really more of a whimsical story or a story of of birth and and of legends and and of things like that, it, as long as it connects the person with the importance, the integrity, the integral of foundation of what the ocean means to every one of us, then I think we're we're on to something. Um, without that. Uh, making decisions and following through on those decisions, each and every one of us is going to be very difficult. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, the beauty of the ocean decade too, is that we're telling this story internationally. Um, And so what's the importance of the international nature of this ocean decade? You've all done work regionally and locally and internationally before, but what, what does it mean to have the UN declare that this is important? Do you think? Uh, for me, uh, the United Nations uh, is exactly that, right? It's the uh, it's the international platform that that supposedly represents all of us, or or the vast majority of us. Uh, the ocean represents us in that it's a common good. It is uh, it's quite literally the underpinnings of what makes us possible, regardless of where we live on this planet and what uh, economic uh, level we're at and what cultural uh, circles we're in. Uh, the one universal is is ocean. Without that, uh, we're just a lifeless brown rock in space. Uh, and so uh, on that level, it is a universal connector. Uh, it is a universal language. And it is something that we each, uh, that we all universally must um, come together and protect. Yeah, if I can jump in there, I mean, I think, yeah, I, global challenges mandate global thinking, right? And, and they're an, awful lot of really smart people across the planet that are thinking about how we can meet the challenges that the ocean decade highlights. And so in particular, there's just enormous amount of potential to learn from people who up to this point may not have had a seat at the table, especially young people. And I I can't tell you the number of times I've seen examples of people from the global south with the fewest resources coming up with really truly amazing ideas and solutions out of necessity. So imagine you know, what would happen if you gave those people access to this amazing tool like like Proteus and gave them inspiration to, to use it? It is. Yeah, that's the incredible thing. It's can is and that's like wax. I think we all could wax sentimentally about the ocean all day. But uh, getting to the contributions that you both and the center overall are making to the decade uh, is is much bigger than just that human ocean connection, which I think is really important. But the but Proteus kind of represents this data and information and this kind of like possibility of where, um, of, of doing work in, in a different way almost, but it's also retro, you know, cause it's going back to the, the capsules of old, but with new age, new day technology. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's a very good way of putting it. Uh, when, when you introed by saying the International Space Station of the Sea, that really summarizes it in a, in a very symbolic way. Um, it, it's, it's something of a platform or a tool that's been missing in the toolbox. Uh, boats and submersibles, AUVs, RVs, those are all fantastic tools. Uh, but there's something that, that an underwater um, laboratory offers uh, is that coefficiency of time, that, that ability to stay underwater for extended periods of time and do advanced research on site on that final frontier on our planet that uh, none of those other uh, tools are are capable of doing in such an efficient way. Uh, it doesn't supersede anything. It just complements our toolbox. Uh, and it's something that that definitely um, is both uh, made of dreams uh, based in historical fact uh, and successes uh, and addresses some of the shortcomings and frustrations of past pioneers by offering a, a platform that is 10 times what we've seen in the past uh, as, has uh, the ability to cater to a complement of crew uh, twice, if not more, uh, than what's seen in the past, and is capable of offering uh, relative comforts uh, that will cater to the ability to stay down for extended periods of time. 
and gather all that data, uh, that research, those samples that uh, play into everything from uh, being able to better predict weather patterns to uh, finding uh, solutions to viral, viral pandemics in much shorter timeframes because we're there with our advanced technologies and ready to go. Exactly. And I think that uh, we, I get so excited too. And so we jumped into some of the cool pieces of Proteus. Um, but stepping back, so what is Proteus? What's your like elevator pitch for when you propose this idea to funders and how you got this going and what's the inspiration behind it? You went into that a little bit, but uh. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, thanks to to people like like Brian and Mark and and others out there, um, uh, my eyes were open to what what is an aquanaut. An aquanaut is basically an astronaut underwater, and the the fact that one becomes a saturated equilibrium uh, at pressure depth and is capable of walking out into that. Uh, that backyard, which happens to be a coral reef or, or another ecosystem underwater for as long as you want to, to do the work necessary with sensitive equipment in ways that, that uh, only frustrate scuba divers because of the limit of time underwater is phenomenal. It's the dream come true, so to speak. You can go diving 10, 12 hours more a day and really uh, hammer into the extensive research that's that's begging to be uncovered. The Pandora's box of discoveries and solutions that are that are just sitting there, tantalizingly close. Uh, and it's one of those things that building the an underwater uh, research station uh, that has all the advanced technologies that are modular and upgradable, including sections of the habitat itself, which can be interchanged so that we can. Uh, modify it or upgrade as necessary to keep up with future demands, to keep up with with uh, various uh, research groups that may need specific types of equipment, uh, and or, or have other demands that that we can cater to, uh, is something of of a dream come true. Uh, and that's what we're what we're uh, envisioning with Proteus. Uh, what we're uh, our engineers are hard at work. At, uh, at materializing in the schematics. Uh, it's certainly something that's, that's unusual. <laughs> yeah. It's when you re you don't automatically think like, Hmm, let's build a modular international space station in the Caribbean. <laughs> you know, most people say, well, why don't you just send an ROV down there? Why don't you go down with submarine? Well, first of all, those, uh, you, you know, th those things are great. Those things are fantastic tools, but they're very specific. Uh, and they have and they have parameters, and they're great for for what they're what they're intended for, just like any tool in the toolbox. But if you want to be able to have uh, a set of of uh, specialists that can uh, do research with advanced technologies on site, there's no substitute for having those human beings at that uh, at the bottom on the final frontier, being able to cater to their living space, their sleeping needs, their eating needs, and of course all the research necessary. Uh, you can't do that from a submersible or an AUV. It's almost like having the toolbox underwater that you can get your specific tools and your other things that you need to then use. But it's kind of putting the toolbox, the uh, the entire toolbox in a more uh, convenient place to get more work done more quickly. Well, unlike um, unlike certain uh, other approaches uh, and unlike past habitats, minus maybe Conshelf too. Uh, we haven't been able to house a lot of the tools because of the limits of space, because of the focus of the specific mission in in those particular past habitats. This, we're talking about having a submersible hangar. We're talking about having a an area that's an AUV deployment area, as well as being able to cater to aquanaut teams and all that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is basically an underwater village uh, that can allow for a small group of people, say 10, 12, to 18 people uh, to uh, to be able to live and work underwater, not for days or weeks, but weeks, months, and possibly longer uh, to really focus on some of the uh, the fundamental research that's necessary for solution building uh, into the future. Part of the infrastructure uh, of Proteus in of itself are some engineering feats that are either borrowed from uh, space colonization uh, prowess, which is happening right now, or uh, past uh, successes in previous underwater structures. Uh, we're, what we're doing is we're eliminating uh, the shortcomings and we're capitalizing on the new discoveries and new technologies. 
The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Yeah, and that's what scientific advancement should be, and that's the way thinking should progress. Um, And something that I was really interested in when I was first reading up about this is what did the conversation look like for choosing the name? What what bar were all of you sitting at when you were throwing around Greek god names or how did that come about? (laughs) Well, you hit the nail right on the head. (laughs) You know, uh, scientists are a lot of fun, especially around a bar. Especially, Uh, yeah. And we were talking about names and things like that. I mean, and you 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 hit it right in the head. I mean, our family has a, a longstanding has, history with using Greek names, including mm-hmm. five ships and so on and so forth. And to me, uh, you know, legends of the sea are always a fun thing to play on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Proteus is the eldest son of Poseidon. He was he's the the shepherd of the sea and the keeper of all knowledge. So symbolically, it just seemed like the right fit for an underwater uh, research station. That does see, yeah, that does seem like a great fit, and it makes it an easy pitch. Yeah. So Brian, when when you probably heard this the first time you were when you looked it up, it's like you can almost tell exactly what the station is trying to do based on the the moniker. Oh, a- absolutely, and I, you know, I can't tell you how excited I am about this and, and to be working with the Fabian's group. I mean, I literally would not be in the career I'm in right now without um, Fabian's grandfather, Jacques. Cousteau. And, and it's really, it's hard to overstate what a game changer Proteus is. Um, you know, I've, I've had the, the good fortune of being an, an aquanaut on a couple missions. Um, and in addition to the, the gift of time that Fabian was talking about, there's this huge, huge impact of being able to live in the ecological community you're, you're studying. So, you know, we know we can learn an awful lot from these repeated service dives. Um, but you know, it'd be the equivalent of, of quickly running into a forest, dragging heavy, noisy equipment with you and expecting to understand all the plants and animals around you only have to. And the yeah, quietness of it, yeah, you know, and like just to run out again after an hour and then sit there waiting for six hours and then run in for another hour again. That's a great image. I really like that as a way to describe the benefit of, of this. Yeah. I mean, you, you actually get to observe and be part of it. And, you know, Contrast that with actually living embedded within the ecosystem, spending 10, 12 hours a day doing experiments and observations, and then having that easy access to this world-class laboratory like Proteus, where, yeah, if you have a piece of equipment that needs to be fixed, you don't have to run up to the boat, run back into shore, fix it, and come out the next day. You run back into the shop, you fix it, and you come back out again. Yeah, it's 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 bringing everything you need with you. Uh, Brian's clocked in. He's being very uh, modest, but he's clocked in uh, many many hours underwater as an aquanaut, uh, more than I. And uh, and he hit it right on the head. I mean, being able to be part of the ecosystem, it becomes very evident after the second third day of being down there as an aquanaut. The first day or two, the the, the your neighborhood. Uh, your your neighbors uh, start getting used to your presence, and the more often you go out there, the more hours you go on uh, out there, they start uh, uh, acting as if you're just part of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You're and, not a disturbance. Really, yeah, you're part it, of you're it. You're much less of a disturbance. I mean, I, it's so frustrating as a as a scuba diver from the surface coming down, and just as things start getting interesting after forty five minutes, you have to go up. So, yep, you have to go up. Uh, here, you you break free from your bonds. Uh, of having to go to the surface to stay down as long as you need to. One thing I was just, it just kind of occurred to me. So that first night after you then spend a night, you know, underwater, like what is waking up that next morning look like or feel like? That must be just so you look out your little window and it's like, oh, nope, there's no sunrise. There's just <laughs> water. <laughs> the life yeah. staring at me. <laughs> it's, 
I don't know, Brian. I, I don't know if the novelty's worn off on you, but that first day, uh, it was giddy, like a little schoolboy, uh, just the day before going down. And then that first morning waking up inside an underwater habitat is, it's mind blowing. It's like being in an alien world. I know that sounds trite, but it really truly comes to life when you actually experience it. Yeah. And it's every sensation, right? I mean, it's going to sleep and hearing snapping shrimp all night long. Um, it's, you know, looking out and, you know, one of the missions I did, there was an octopus that laid eggs under hatch covers. We watched the, um, uh, the babies develop over, over time. Um, as Fabian said, you get to know the fish and name them. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it, it never, it never gets old. Just like, you know, every dive, there's something new. Um, but that said, I mean, you do, I, I wouldn't say you get jaded or acclimated to it, but it does become your new norm. It's and a I new think normal, that's one yeah. Of this, yeah, exactly. And, and you're, you're part of it. It's, it's not this idea. And I think this is one of the most important things um, that we're hoping uh, non-divers will, will get is, is this idea that, you know, the ocean is not something you go, you visit and you come back from. I mean, it, it can be, but it's an integral part to everyone on the planet, whether you recognize it or not. It's funny that you, you know, you, as you were talking, Brian, you made me realize that, you know, everyone's or a lot of people have been to aquariums. You are actually in the aquarium and the fish are looking in at you. So it's a very out of body experience in a sense. Uh, it, it's just, I, I, I can't wait to go back down there and spend some more time. That's yeah, the way I don't think I've ever smiled this much while recording a podcast because it's just hearing both of your excitement and enthusiasm. It's how can we not, you know, achieve Proteus's goals and then the decade goals. And it's just, uh, we couldn't have two better uh, spokesmen, I think, for for this effort and for figuring out how to connect it to the ocean decade, you know, and the importance of what do you think Proteus represents as part of the decade? Like what could it be uh, going towards this effort to transform the ocean? Uh, symbolically or, or, or maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> I think symbolically it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great unifier. Uh, it's a, it's a sign of, of hope. It's a sign of, of bringing in the best and the brightest uh, and, and the most uh, advanced of what we know and what we can do today and using that as um, as a catalyst for solution building. Uh, and implementation um, on a concrete level, uh, you know this is just one uh, one piece of the puzzle, of course, for the the ocean decade. But it's a platform that's very unique that offers a lot of opportunity to bring in the knowledge that we need to make better decisions. Uh, in many cases, decisions that we need to make before things happen and 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 we make the wrong decisions. And in some ways, uh, you know, addressing some of the shortcomings from previous decisions that may not have been the best. Uh, so whether it's uh, gathering data from the, the seven senses array, uh, which uh, gathers baseline data for all sorts of things from salinity to microplastics and so on and so forth to the advanced research that the aquanauts are doing in-house uh, at the bottom to, uh, to looking at, at targets of opportunity, uh, quite simply, because there are things that we just don't know anything about until we get down there. And it's questions you don't even know to ask yet, you know, until you're in the situation and think, oh, well, maybe we can think about it in this new novel way. And it, I think it also brings the human element to the, the decade. So I always just think about the, you know, the first time that humans went into outer space and, you know, saw the the fragility and, and the unity of the, the planet and how that really did kind of puncture these misperceptions of, of hyper-nationalist thinking or the idea that, you know, one country can can go it alone. You know, we already knew the world was round. We already had the data, but it was that human interaction that really made the difference. And, and again, I think we can collect an awful lot of data with remote sensors, with um, with robots, but it's, it's having that human presence and being able to share that with the rest of the world that is, is such a game changer. I mean, it boils down to the very basic notion of something my grandfather said, which is a philosophy I, I follow today, uh, which is people protect what they love, they love what they understand, and they understand what they're taught. I mean, that pretty much encompasses everything we're talking about. And with that an understanding, 
to engage the individual who may have no care whatsoever about science or ocean, God forbid, uh, but, but to be able to have them at least understand and appreciate the value that ocean brings to us, the intrinsic necessity of all of us to play our part in, in protecting it as if our lives depended on it, because it does. Um, whether it's for pragmatic reasons or, or emotional ones, or preferably both, uh, you know, that's a win-win right there. Uh, it, the worst thing we can do, the worst thing we can do is to keep telling people that we're doomed and to keep going out there and, and preaching the bad news without offering solutions and signs of hope and examples of success. Yeah, that is the the danger of, you know, we, we want people to be aware that, you know, climate change is happening and that issues are going forward. But that's one of the beautiful things I think about the ocean decade is it's a way to, to say, yes, these are the problems that we're facing. And then these are, this is how we're going to work towards it collectively as a global community that thrives because of the ocean. And I think that uh, it's it's really interesting because uh, you were talking about the kind of human connection and how um, that's such a, an important part of what Proteus can bring to the decade. And just in general, the fact that uh, Proteus was announced last year, right in the middle of the pandemic when humans couldn't be close together. Um, so why did you decide that that was the right time to, to launch this despite all the other difficulties going on? <laughs> well, scuba diving is the best form of social <laughs> <True>. isolation. <laughs> you cannot get more, a better social distance activity as long as you don't have to share your reg, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, we, we never, we always planned on it being last year, the announcement, we never planned on it uh, during a, a pandemic. Uh, there was very serious talk about delaying the, the announcement, but at the end of the day, it felt right because the world needed some good news. Uh, it was, it was really a, a, a dark time last year for many, many people. Um, uh, you know, I could imagine uh, had you uh, had one not been um, uh, isolated as an aquanaut underwater, uh, it might be very difficult to be socially distant from friends and family and and, and other things like that. And 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 you know, I, I totally uh, feel for for those people. And so, um, having seen people suffer emotionally, it felt right to announce something that gives a sense of light and hope and uh, a sense of dream and, and wonder uh, for the future. Uh, and despite all those challenges that we had last year, um, it was the right move because at the end of the day, we, we got a lot of positive feedback, uh, a lot of support. We were blessed to have uh, Brian come on board and others uh, to support the endeavor of building this amazing international space station that will be uh, uh, what I dream and hope of as a as a great unifier. Yeah, Brian, how did how did y your role? How did you play a role in this kind of rollout and announcement? And uh, what is what are you most looking forward to going forward with uh, how Proteus is, is starting to progress and really turn from a concept to something that will happen? Well, what I'm most looking forward to is, is getting in it. Um, yes. But, um, you know, it, it really has been uh, amazing to see people's faces light up. I, I have a, a mock up of Proteus as my Zoom background. And, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you go into these these endless Zoom meetings, and people look downtrodden. It's oh my god, another meeting. And I can't tell how many times people have seen the background and started a conversation. What is that? And get so excited about it. And it really has been this this ray of hope. And so, um, you know, as maybe you have your best advertiser in Brian's <laughs> Zoom background. I guess is just. Don't need to pay for any other advertising. It's just Brian's Zoom background. Right. Well, given the number of Zoom meetings I have, yeah, it probably is a wide audience. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is just, there's just nothing about it that's not exciting. And and I think, you know, as Fabian was saying earlier, there's so many different ways that people can connect with this, whether it's the engineering side, the, um, the drug discovery side, um, the, you know, the scientific excitement or, or the education piece that um, it's, what I have loved seeing and, and what I'm looking forward to is just looking at how it brings people together from different perspectives and then seeing how we can piece together all those different life experiences and views of the world all focused on, um, on the ocean. That's, yeah, that's 
a lot to look forward to. It's really, I told you, I can't stop smiling. It's a very great, happy concept, even without your Zoom background, which is awesome. Um, so what's the, <laughs> the timeline look like for Proteus? How soon can I start hosting podcast episodes from, from beneath the sea? <laughs> well, you, you hit on two topics there. One of them uh, that I guess we didn't mention yet, aside from the state-of-the-art uh, marine laboratories that'll be based at Proteus itself, one of the uh, one of the aspects that I felt was of extreme importance uh, and plays really into your question is that we have a state-of-the-art broadcast studio as well. Underway. Yes, we should have mentioned that. <laughs> That's so cool. Because it's all it's wonderful to have discoveries and it's amazing to have that kind of data and, and science and research. But if we don't talk about it, people won't know. And so to be able to highlight that, to be able to offer that that broadcast medium from a strange, exotic, weird place that 99.9% .9 of the population may never get a chance to see uh, is fundamentally important. So uh, as soon as we build it, uh, absolutely, come on down. Let's 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 get a, a podcast series going. Um, when, uh, as far as the, the more concrete answer for your second, or the main party question, you know, as of uh, stage two funding, we're in stage one right now, we're, we're rounding out that funding uh, end of month, actually. Uh, we're going to, do the feasibility study, which is not to say, uh, can it be done or not, but more how we can, how it can be done. Yeah. Because we're, we were blessed to have an, uh, an MOU with the Curacao government, uh, and to install Proteus in a marine protected area, which most people will know is, oh, that's fantastic. Very yeah. sensitive space though. So we have to be very, very careful with the way we engineer and the way we, we install something with such a, a potentially large footprint. Uh, and so that's what that study is for. Once that's done uh, and the engineering uh, drawings are, are done, uh, I'd say soup to nuts, uh, 32 to 36 months. Uh, most of the uh, superstructure components are slated to be built in the United States, uh, some in Europe, uh, and the finishings and all that in Curacao. Um, and then once we're installed, uh, you know, mission one, let's go, let's do it. That's incredible. Yeah. How does, uh, kind of a more practical question that I just thought about that listeners might be interested in, how do you power something like this? Oh, beautiful question. Something that's so overlooked and one of my biggest frustrations with uh, my experience at Mission 31 is uh, being powered with traditional fuels, uh, which, uh, which is not conducive to the dream. It's not conducive to what we're trying to portray. So um, I'm pushing very hard to, uh, at least as far as Curacao is concerned, to implement OTEC, Ocean Thermal Energy Conversion, which is a renewable uh, baseline energy as opposed to uh, peak renewables, uh, which are also available on the island. Uh, so we'd, we'd build, a, a, ideally, an OTEC plant uh, near shore. Uh, and thanks to the topography of Curacao, Proteus won't have to be far from shore, so we can just run an umbilical and not uh, have a need for an LSB or life support buoy above. Yeah, that's so important because it's almost like, yeah, you do all the great work and then it gets ruined by, you know, fossil fuels. And that's the, it's something that um, your shows you're really thinking holistically about the transformative nature of this, not just from the, the science perspective or the, the people perspective, but from the, uh, the basic core of what Proteus is. Well, and, and OTEC offers uh, a multitude of advantages uh, as a primary source of energy. First, of course, the, the, the power uh, aspect, which is a very efficient baseline uh, energy, so you don't really need a storage medium, at least for your, your primary power. Uh, secondarily, it offers uh, passive cooling. Uh, so uh, believe it or not, it does get very hot and humid inside the underwater habitat, as Brian knows well. Uh, and third, uh, it offers the ability to generate fresh water. So uh, it's also a, a needed aspect of, of an underwater habitat. That's fantastic. It just, yeah, it's the, the holistic thinking that is what the decade is trying to do. And so it's just a, a great example of what Proteus is and thinking about, um, you know, the fact that you're working with Curacao and with this and something that I've been thinking about a lot is making sure that, you know, local communities and especially large ocean states, which th this is a great, I don't know if it's new to you, but it was a newer to me term versus small island developing states. The fact that these are large ocean states, which I think is just a, a magnificent way to frame it. Um, and because one of the sentiments I read about Proteus was that it's a way to view the world from the bottom up, which I think is a really 
apt metaphor for the decade. So how can we make sure that these communities, the local level initiatives that um, can really feed into this overwhelming international initiative? Brian, what do you think? Yeah, so uh, we've been having lots of conversations with different stakeholder groups. Um, I serve on the the working group for the for capacity development in the the Western Tropical Atlantic with the the UN Decade, um, and so I, I know with Fabian's team has been keeping this front and center. You know how do you how do you solve the problems um, that uh, people in in those countries are, are facing by co developing solutions with them and and making them part of this from the seafloor up. And so I, th- I think it's, it's exactly as you've been saying, it's, it's how do you embed it in everything that Proteus does moving forward, starting at the very beginning? You know, Proteus is a, is a, is a shiny object, right? It's, it's something that gives inspiration. It's something that's new, different, uh, kind of a wow-inducing uh, uh, factor. Uh, and it captures the imagination of, of scientists, scuba divers, and, and non-scuba divers alike. And when we try and connect science with policymaking uh, and politicians who, who or decision makers who may never have had the chance to peek below the blue veneer, uh, it gives a chance uh, to have a dialogue that bridges the gap because of, of what it represents. And hopefully that curiosity uh, is enough to engage the, the decision makers at hand who absolutely have to come on board and be part of a proactive movement to row in the same direction. Exactly. And I think that's uh, these first few years of the, of the the ocean decade. It's funny last year, people kept asking me when I was working on it at, at NOAA, the national oceanic and atmospheric administration, like, what are we doing for the decade? Like what's happening? Who, who are, who's doing what? And I was trying to describe to them that, you know, this is a decade worth of effort and we need to get everyone rowing in the same direction at first. Like we need, the, we need the plans, we need to loop people in, we need to do a lot of outreach to make sure that all the voices are at the table, especially ones that have not typically been included. And especially it's terif- the, terrifying the idea to interact at the UN level sometimes if you're a, a local initiative or a small regional group. And so that rowing together metaphor, I think, is a really good example of what these first couple of years of the decade need to be to put us on the right track to to reach that transformation that we're, we're searching for. And, and having people feel like they're rowing their own boat, and not somebody else's. I mean, I, I yes. think, you know, having that, that point of pride, that the fact that um, Proteus is, is located in the Caribbean basin and um, eventually, you know, maybe replicated or we hope replicated elsewhere, but it, it's something that can be owned by, by the people of the Caribbean and, and be part of that. Absolutely. I mean, the, the Proteus, the, the, the first iteration of Proteus itself, uh, as Brian is stating, is, is, a, is, a, is a multinational effort. Uh, it's not just um, Curacao. It's not just the United States. It's not just Europe. It, it's, it's, a, it's the culmination of the efforts. Uh, and as uh, he insinuated, uh, you know, the, the long-term vision is to have a, um, a number of these underwater structures strategically located in different parts of the world that make the most sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say symbolically seven uh, for, you know, symbolically. Oh, seas. There you go. So you can have a network. And, uh, and that's really uh, something that, that represents the globe in, in a way that, uh, that we're talking about. And you got to start thinking about all the different Greek names, you know, that you might have to go to Romans. You might have to like, yeah, pull some out of a hat to think about <laughs> why, why <laughs> some stop, more creative names. Why stop at Greek? Uh, there's, uh, you know, there are uh, sea goddesses from Africa. There are uh, Caribbean uh, sea gods. There are, uh, you know, it, we, why not name them for uh, local, uh, local heroes and deities? That's a, a fantastic idea. And it just, uh, yeah, there's so many... Uh, more recent deities too that we can uh, celebrate and that there's all different ways to bring that connection together. And I, I love that idea of a network of, of Proteuses, you know, and that's what it it symbolizes, you know, the, the seas, but then also what the decade is trying to do and bring all these networks of people together, which I think is, yeah, you couldn't ask for a better metaphor for the decade than, than Proteus. And then I think the work that, that you're both doing, um, Something that I've been asking all my guests and uh, going back, we've waxed philosophically a lot this episode, which I think is is warranted for how cool and novel and abstract uh, to a degree Proteus still is at the moment. But 
what would looking back once we reach 2030 um what would a successful ocean decade look like to you so what will we have accomplished over the past 10 years or what will we have set ourselves on a path toward uh that you would look back and say yeah we we did this right brian you want to start yeah, I mean, and I think I'm going to wax poetic even more here. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying this as a scientist and, and the science that Proteus will do, um, it will be groundbreaking, it will be game changing, and I'm really excited about that. But if I'm honest, um, what I'm most excited about Proteus, and I think this is where it just overlaps perfectly with the decade, is, is leading to a global shift in perception. Um, that the, the decade and, and Proteus can bring about, you know, this this understanding again that the ocean isn't something you you visit and then come home and forget. And whether it's you know the food we eat, the medicines we take, that literally the air we breathe, that the well being of every person on the planet is is really inextricably linked to the ocean. And I think once you can figure out how to make that happen, just as Fabian said earlier, then a lot of these other pieces fall in, into place. But without that shift in perception, I I worry that we're going to continue heading in the wrong direction. No, I absolutely agreed, uh, Brian. I, I think the, the perception aspect is, is certainly fundamental to any solution building. And right now, um, as we've unfortunately seen, even with uh, COVID theoretically giving a uh, uh, climate change or break, it actually didn't. Uh, and, and we need to really drive the drive the understanding uh, deep into people's consciousness. Um, what would be what would be a good outcome for a decade of the oceans? Anything better than we've been doing? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I, I would say if we can get to a semblance of of uh, a certain percentage of marine protected areas protected, uh, you know, I know we'd love to have thirty percent. Uh, anything uh, above 20 would be fantastic. Uh, we're headed in the right direction for that. Um, beyond this, of course, uh, being able to, even in the dialogue that we use, uh, start changing our, our mindset and our perception. Let's stop calling it seafood. Seafood gives no value to what's on your plate. Call it sea life. Sea life uh, automatically uh, gives us uh, the, the, the feeling uh, that there's value to what that that thing, that object, that living uh, being or once living being was. Uh, and that is where we need to start from. Uh, beyond this, of course, some very pragmatic um, solutions uh, would be built into the, some of the infrastructure that we all depend on to feed uh, our communities. Uh, you know, the, the, let's get rid of the clear cutters of the ocean. Uh, that that's just ridiculous. Uh, it's a it's a hugely wasteful and antiquated practice. Why are we still hunter gatherers in the ocean? Why aren't we farmers? Uh, we did that ten thousand plus years ago on land, uh, and if we can do it in a way that is respectful to our life support system, the ocean, uh, and other water bodies, then automatically we're going to generate more jobs. Uh, we're going to be more in balance with what our ecosystem can provide. Uh, and by default, we'll be uh, protecting the very nature that we're talking about right now. Yeah, that's so true. And I really think that uh, both of your responses kind of highlight exactly what I've been trying to do with this with this podcast is focusing on the human elements of the ocean decade, um, the names and voices and personal stories of individuals working on this to promote understanding because. Um, it's a big abstract thing. And so working towards something, you know, what does transformative mean? What does, you know, 30 by 30 is a really catchy title for protecting the ocean, but how do you get there? And so the, I love that, Brian, you were saying, you know, you're a scientist and so you care about the data, but you also care about, you know, the, the way that we perceive and talk about the world. And it's just showing the multifaceted nature of that we're humans who love the ocean, but we also like we're scientists and we're, uh, friends and we're kind of we're multifaceted people and so just adding the facet of ocean understanding and appreciation to more people so that they view it through their perspectives and then can bring their unique solutions and ideas uh, to the table I think is one of the most beautiful things we could think of over the next 10 years yeah well said 
oh, you guys are making me wax extra poetically today. It's just, it's, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> getting to more uh, like our last little practical bit, where can the audience go to learn more about Proteus? Some of the more nuts and bolts versus uh, hearing us uh, reciting ocean poetry for, <laughs> for an hour on the podcast. Well, there's several places. Uh, one of them is uh, the Fabian Cousteau Ocean Learning Center or FabianCousteauOLC.org. Uh, has uh, some pages on Proteus that you can dive into and get a little bit more information. Uh, there's also ProteusOceanGroup.com, uh, which is specifically tasked with the management of the project, and there's some wonderful people there. Uh, and uh, if all else fails, uh, knock on Brian's door. He knows a lot about Proteus. <laughs> yeah, so we'll read Brian's address here soon. Fabian's cell phone number, yep, yep. Yeah, I'll just read out Brian's email address and then his, his address at Northeastern. And <laughs> Well, we, we definitely I look forward to, uh, Brian, I, I look forward to having some time down below with you for sure. <laughs> I know, I've finally seen oh, you in person nice. again sometime here soon. Yeah. yeah, I bet you get real close to the people you spend that time underwater with. It's almost probably like being stuck in the car with your siblings on a long road trip. It's like, okay, I love it here, but how? Like, eventually you need to get out. <laughs> there are stories that will stay down below. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah. Like when there's the last hamburger or... Yeah. yeah, I love thinking about that practical bit of it. Because I grew up uh, in, in Arizona right near Biosphere 2. And so when they were doing those kind of missions for letting, trying to get humans to stay in isolation you know near each other for long periods of time and so it's just it makes me it reminds me of that of hearing those news stories and getting updates on them every day like well they haven't killed anyone yet so like <laughs> guess it's going okay yeah you want to know the people you saturate with really well before uh, you go and, down. and if you don't you will <laughs> <laughs> you will right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the yeah, you need to think about in addition to the engineering and the and all the MOUs and all the things you need to think about what's the um, screening requirements for your aquanauts and who's going to get to stay down with you and what questions you need to ask to make sure you know <laughs> who the people are that you're going to be sharing <laughs> air with. Well, there, there's a training period uh, right before you go down. Uh, and, and we talk about the, the uh, things to avoid. And then there's only one cardinal sin. And this is a, this is a family show, so I'm not going to say which one it is. There's <laughs> only one thing that you cannot do underwater as an aquanaut <laughs> with your friends. <laughs> or they won't be friends anymore. Well, we'll start a poll um, when we release the podcast and people can guess which, which uh, adult themed thing that they, they think it is. So <laughs> this has been, uh, this has been incredible. Thank you both for, for joining uh, today and just getting to dig in deeper to not only the, the nuts and bolts of, of Proteus, but uh, thinking about what inspiring and engaging means both in terms of this project and the overall ocean decade. Uh, so uh, thank you again so much for joining. Yeah, thanks, Taylor. This has been so much fun. Yeah, it's been great, Taylor. Thank you for having us. We'll see you guys next month. Bye-bye. <laughs>